Good morning. I am Lanier. I know a lot of your faces. <laughs> and it's one of the fun things uh, that I get to do. I'm a campus minister of Reform University Fellowship at South Alabama. One of the fun things that I get to do as we've been serving down there is about once a month I get to go visit different churches to give updates and see the worship of Christ's body. And I really always enjoy it. Of course, this morning is especially joyful for us to come back and visit many of you and to see God's work here at Cross Creek, to see the different changes going on. One is that these scary speakers I noticed right away. As you stand here, I, I know that you can apparently cut sermons short very quickly with that. But to see, actually just to see new faces, to meet new people, is so, it's, it's such a blessing and such a joy to see God's work here at Cross Creek. And I hope you're encouraged. If you're a new face to me, you're testimony to me of God's faithfulness. So it's great to meet you, and again, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I'd love to give a quick update just about things going on in South Alabama. Of course, we're now there for a little over a year and a half. The way I think of it is I'm already thinking about next year uh, in a lot of ways. So we're kind of at the end of two years, even though we still have about a half a semester left. But what that means for us as we minister to students right now is this. We've been at South Alabama for a year and a half. We've been ministering students, we've been getting to know them, and what our mission with uh, RUF is, I was about to say Cross Creek, but is to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve. It's simply the Great Commission. And what we spend a lot of time doing is reaching students for Christ. And we've seen a lot of new students come to new understandings of their faith, and students who grew up in the South kind of believing themselves to be Christians and yet seeing that that Christ is not something you simply tack onto your life, but it's something you rest in, something you believe in. A couple new students who uh, we've been getting to know this past semester, who are both from China, both uh, involved coming to our studies. Everything is new. I've had to ask friends, how do you talk to somebody who doesn't just not know Christianity, but doesn't even know the language of Jesus, doesn't have any idea what resurrection is, doesn't have any idea what justification is, or or, or even the more basic things of righteousness or holiness. And to interact with them about the Word of God. To be able to give them the hope of Jesus and see how they're beginning to grasp it, even though it seems so mysterious. It's awesome. And yet as we do all this reaching, this is, this is what we've realized. We're a bunch of different groups of students. And what we're praying for, and what I actually love to ask you all to pray for And what makes me very, very nervous right now, and and actually a little scared, is that we're looking to see how we bring those students together. I mean, we have students who come from all different backgrounds, different groups, and and there are five groups of students as as I kind of measure these things out, and I kind of look at them, and then I'm praying, how do we bring them together so that we come to the campus as one group going out? And I love for y'all's prayer in that. The way we're going to do that specifically is, we're about to start our first leadership meetings, and I'm inviting students to that. So please pray. <laughs> it gives me so much anxiety to, to, to ask students to actually take ownership and to voluntarily uh, take on more than just uh, being present. So please pray. Yeah, and the reason that, that gives me a lot of uh, nervousness is that what I want to see happen And what I long for is I want to do God's plan and God's way. I don't want to jump the gun. And as we look at Joshua 8, this is actually what Israel needs as well. They need to learn how to do God's plan and God's way, right? 
they've struggled with this. They've wrestled with this as, as they were Israel wandering in the wilderness. They were trying to do their plan in their way. Or sometimes maybe God's plan in their way. Or sometimes maybe God's way, you know, take all the things of Israel, all, all the practices of Israel, but work towards their plan. But what God is leading us to is how we do God's plan in God's way. And as hard as it is for us to, to have our lives shaped in that way, that, that in everything we're doing God's will and God's work, we need something to happen to us. And I think what we find here in Joshua 8, the end of Joshua 8, after the sin of Achan, after finally defeating Ai, we see what God has given us and what God has given Israel. And it's that he's given us worship. He's given us this. That the place where we come together and where we're reoriented to our mission and to our end is as the people of God come together and you see the things that they do, what they're meant to do is reaffirm, to renew the covenant that God's made with them. As they make sacrifices, as they read over the Word of God. And that's what we do this morning, right? We come together, we look at the sacrifice of Christ, we read and we open the Word of God. And we're renewed and refreshed in it. Open with me to Joshua 8. We're going to be reading just those last few verses. As I think y'all have come already up to this point. Joshua 8, 30 through 35. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. There in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel's sojourners, as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. There is not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, even as a people who are established, often in our homes, have the establishment of the church. Lord, and have stability in our lives. We instinctively understand and identify with the wandering people of Israel. We identify with the foes, with the challenges, with things in life that seem too overwhelming and too powerful for us to enter into. And God, as we open your word this morning, we pray and we ask and we plead before you 
that you would refresh and remind and restore us, Lord, with the power that you give us through your Spirit and through the work of Christ. Open your word to us. And as the people of Israel were built up, as they were reminded, do the same for us. Let your word speak with power, Lord. Let us not be ashamed of it. Let us learn to boldly stand in it, even in its difficulty at times, even in how it is hard to uh, understand. Lord, we ask and we plead as we do that, that you would bring us into greater hope and rest in the knowledge of Christ, our Savior. Lord, for you are our salvation, and we long to look to no other now. Lord, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be worthy in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. God's plan and God's way. <laughs> I don't know if uh, some of y'all remember, Leslie and I were actually thinking about some different things and reflecting on and a sermon actually that I preached at Cross Creek probably about two years ago. I think it was exactly two years ago, just before Christmas or just after Christmas. And I use this illustration. Our nieces, my brother was about to take his daughter to Disney World. And my, my daughter was there. This was at Christmas time that my brother told his daughters that they were going to go to Disney World in February. And, and, and my daughter was sitting there, Camille, who's here with us now, sat there. And as they found out that they were going to Disney World, Camille got totally excited. We're going to Disney World. And what I used it to, what we talked about is that I had to talk Camille down kind of from the edge of we're going to Disney World in two months to, you know what, Camille? We'll go to Disney World, but it's going to be a little while. <laughs> and what she had to do and, what, and what, what she was able to do because of her relationship with me is she was able to rest in the promise that I made to her. She was able to rest because she knew that me and Leslie we were good to our promise that all things possible, if we could do it, whatever, we could, whatever way we could make, we would take them. And actually we did that two months ago. Two years she waited with full expectation, with full waiting, yet sometimes kind of wondering. Israel, as they come into the promised land, they've had a promise put before them all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to I'm going to have a place set aside for you. I have a place that you're going to enter into and when you get there, you're going to see my provision. And now Israel is finally coming in. The promise that they long waited for that they struggled with believing, regardless of their rest in the promise, God shows it to be true. As we look in the book of Joshua, this is what Chris, I know, has been sharing with you, is that God is fulfilling and answering His promise. And yet, what's happening? Israel still wrestles. Israel still needs being reminded that the one who made the promise is the one who keeps the promise. And, and the question over and over is, is how do we get reminded of that? How do we... Be restored in that. And again, what we find Joshua doing here, after seeing God's faithfulness as they finally conquer Ai, is they're reminded, we need to come back to our God over and over and over. We need to be refreshed 
We need to be renewed in the covenant. And that's what we find happening here. Israel being renewed in their covenant with God. And what the Old Testament really shows us is this is the nature of worship. Being renewed again and again. Renewing the covenant with God. And it gives Israel reason to worship. And I think it gives us reason to worship as well. And here's the thing I want us to examine this morning. Is that God who covenants with His people revives His people through those same covenants. As we remember and worship Him through it. And there are three points in your outline. And there are three things I think that we can look at. Is, is first of all, when do we renew? When do we do this? When, what is the timing? What is, when do we do it? The second is, what do we do? What does Israel do? How do they go about renewing a covenant with God? And the third is, and this is what we'll come to, and I hope this lingers in your mind, what's renewed? What about the covenant is being renewed? So three things. When do we renew? What do we renew? And what, so what do we do, sorry, and what is renewed? So when do we renew? Well, we need to go back real quick and give us a brief definition of covenant. I was asking my brother... uh, I realized as I was, I was going through that one of the things that we kind of tend to kind of take, uh, take for granted is that when we read these words like covenant, we don't define them out. We kind of read them and we kind of give a basic definition of promise, which is a good definition, but it's not the full definition. But maybe a little bit fuller definition, and I think my brother and I were talking about it actually just this morning or maybe last night, I forget, is what O. Palmer Robertson get, gives is, is that a, a covenant is a solemn promise sealed with blood. A solemn promise, so not just a promise, but a promise that has some weight to it, that has something with implications to it. And then there's a seal that's placed upon it, and it's not just any seal. It's not just a seal of, well, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my dog if I don't keep my promise. It's a promise sealed with blood. It's a promise that requires death if the covenant is broken. And what we see Israel here doing is that they're coming to renew the covenant, the promise, the solemn promise that God made with Israel that was sealed with blood. Again, remember back to Abraham that there was coming before God and Abraham had to do it. He had to cut animals in half and God's promise was sealed to the people of Israel through that. And then in in Exodus and coming in uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, as God lays out for them, here's how you'll come before me. It will be done through these sacrifices. Israel comes and they renew their covenant with God. And the question is, is when do we do it? And the first thing I think we see, and this is actually what we deduce from what's happening here and coming from the law of God, is that this is actually a regular thing. That regularly we're called to renew the covenant, to, to be refreshed, to reminded of what the covenant is with God. This is, remember, one of the main commandments that God has given Israel, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Set apart a day of the week so that you can be reminded and refreshed in, what, in our relationship. This is what relationship requires, right? You can't have relationship, uh, you can't have a deep and meaningful relationship if you're simply saying, uh, you know, waving hello to somebody and then passing on. You have to enter into conversation and you have to do it regularly. Spouses know this. If you're going to be close, 
you have to talk regularly. Leslie does this for me. She makes me sit down and we enter into a deeper relationship as we sit down together and sit across from one another at the table or sit on the couch and, and talk about our days and talk about these things. God knows that in order to be in relationship with Him, in order to be refreshed, to be encouraged, we need to regularly be in fellowship with Him. We need to regularly do these things. There's a whole set of laws in Exodus 31 that, that are Sabbath laws that, that tell us this is what's supposed to happen. That, the, that we set aside this day for the purpose of recalling and remembering. And it even says this explicitly, God's covenant with Israel. God's promises, God's entering into this relationship with Israel is supposed to be regular. Or even think back to the beginning of Joshua. One of the commands God gives Israel as they enter into the promised land. He says this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He's saying, keep it, read it regularly, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all uh, that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. We come before God. We come, we read his word and he's saying, listen, meditate on it day and night. Here's what God is saying all the time. You're in relationship with me all the time. We need to do it regularly. God's interested in relationship with His people. He's interested in being close to us. And it requires that we do it and spend time with Him regularly. You see, here's the thing, and this is not, this is where we get a little bit confused, but, but relationship with God is not a moment of intimacy. And it's not just an intellectual acknowledgement of truth. It's entering into relationship with God. So there's a regularness to this. But we see this too as we come into this passage. We see too, after the defeat of Ai, we see also that the other times we do this is as we see God's promises fulfilled. Look at verse 31. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as is written in the book of the law, an altar of uncut stones... Uh, and it's, it's, it's just leading on that you need to make altars and have sacrifices when you see God's faithfulness. He's referring back, when we see God's plan fulfilled, we go before Him and we remember. It's not really terribly remarkable or, or terribly new, perhaps, for our minds, that when we see God's faithfulness, we should rejoice. It's normal, and yet, think about it. The times when we see God provide, this is what I tend to do. Finally, finally, you know, and you start making your plans for what's next. You start thinking about the things ahead. And what, and what we see Israel doing is that they step back. As they see God being faithful, they come and they remind themselves of their relationship with God. They come and they enter in to this renewal of their covenant with God. Joshua doesn't simply jump onto the plan of conquest. He stops. And leads us to this question, do we step back and take time to worship when we see God's faithfulness? Maybe we give a moment of praise God, and then we're on. That's how we kind of bless the situation, but we're not really rejoicing. Do we step back and rejoice? Do we show our children that as we see God's provision, as we see His protection, do we sit with them and rejoice with them and pray and praise and read and open God's Word to show them that this is the God who has provided these things? 
Do we do it as we see God's promises fulfilled? The last thing we see about when we do it, and it's simple as this. Look in verse 30, the very beginning it says, At that time. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord. Joshua didn't wait. He didn't wait till all the promises was fulfilled. He didn't wait till they had totally conquered every nation, every tribe that was in the land of Israel. He didn't wait till everything was established, till the whole nation was set up. He did it then. He did it now. He didn't wait as he saw and was reminded of God's faithfulness. He stopped all of Israel, a whole people wandering through the wilderness, made them set up camp, stop a whole mission of conquest and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rest, not from war, but we're going to rest in our God. They do it now. They do it presently. They didn't wait until they're finished. They didn't wait until their hearts were perfect for that matter. They came, remember, with the sin of Achan probably fresh on their minds. We're a people that, maybe we've dealt with some sin, but we know now that we're not a people holy and perfect before God. We need to come, and that gives us all the more indication that we need to come now. Don't wait until your heart is right with God to worship. It's, it's one of the beautiful things as we come in to worship with God's people. We don't have to bring ourselves, put ourselves together. As some people say, I, I'm just not a church kind of person. What, they, what we mean when we say that is, I'm not put together enough to come to worship God. That's just the point. It's that we come and worship because we're people that aren't put together. And what God is coming to do to His people as we worship Him is He puts us into our, puts us into the plan and His will and He puts us together. We can't wait to worship. We have to come now. Israel had seen this. They'd seen the warnings. They'd seen the dangers of forgetting. And you see Joshua responding. Israel who, who at times kind of regularly wandered away from God Joshua knew, if we don't do it now, then we're going to continue this pattern. And so they come before God. So we understand there's an imperative. There, there, there's this reality that worship is a present reality for every Christian that we do regularly on a weekly basis. We do it now. We do it when we see God's promises fulfilled. We rejoice in those things. And, and the question lingers then, what do we do? What are we supposed to be doing? I, I read this uh, in, in a book that I was just reviewing this week, kind of thinking about this reality of, of what it looks like to come renew the covenant. And he talks about, and I think probably most of us understand what this is like, but in the book, this guy gives an illustration of walking into a room, and you walk in, and you kind of stand there, and you're like, wait, what did I come in here for? You know, I'll do this periodically, and my children, they kind of see me standing, they're, they're wondering what daddy is doing. And we forget what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes when we come to worship, and maybe actually too much so, when we come into worship, we come in here and we're like, wait, what are we doing? I know the things that we're doing, but why are we doing this? What, what, what are we supposed to be, what, what's God supposed to be doing in our lives? We just think about what are we doing here? What do we do? The first thing we see simply is that we remember. It sounds so passive, Right? We're coming here to remember. Verse 30, when Joshua sets up an altar, what that is to say is that the altar will be set up of uncut stones, and they're going to offer sacrifice on there, but it's actually going to be set up as an altar that's set in place. 
to remind Israel. Near Mount Ebal, they would come back and the people of Israel, when they were traveling, they would see that altar and they were reminded of God's faithfulness. And it was to be a marker of remembrance for God's people. See, the thing, one of the things we're supposed to be doing is simply remembering. And this is really a fundamental part of what worship is. Think about what Jesus says. When we take the sacraments, that one of the basic things we're doing is remembering that Christ's body was broken for us, remembering that His blood was poured out. And here's, here's what we see is that in remembering there's, with God, there's a spiritual nature to it. As we see God's faithfulness, we remember His faithfulness, God works on us. That there is this passive reception, this passive remembering, uh, and that it restores us and it renews us as we remember. Back, back to Disney World. While we were at Disney World, one of the funny things was, you know, I, I was terribly anxious about taking the children to Disney World because with young children, traveling all the time, traveling is always a little bit difficult. Vacations are a lot of work to, so that they can have fun. And what I found at Disney World, and I, I kind of planned for that, and actually it was a great time because they loved it. It was not hard, but there were times when there's a ride that we wanted them to go on or that we knew that they loved where they needed, the, they needed me to come to them and say, okay, everything we've done before has been fun, right? They say yes, yes, and they'd remember all the things that we'd done, how they had fun, how they laughed, and how they, you know, it was the best thing in the world. And then they go, okay, okay, I'll go on the ride. They needed to remember, and and that remembering brought them in uh, to having fun and to enjoying Disney World even more. As we remember God's promises, we remember God's covenants, we remember what He's doing. As we look even back to the promises that we can own through Israel, even here in Joshua. What God does is He restores us. He builds us up. He reaffirms us. He strengthens us. Part of worship, part of renewal of covenant is that we remember. Next thing you see is that we actually worship. And this is, you know, we're saying this is all worship, but, but that's what we do. We worship. We rejoice. We sing. We give praise to God. We, we go through the rituals that actually work on us. Look at what Israel does. In verse 31, uh, they build, the, they build uh, the altar according to the spec- specifications required, and then they offer burnt offerings, and they sacrifice peace offerings. They, they sacrifice these animals. They, they, they lay these things out, and the whole purpose is, is that as they do this, they're worshiping God. They're rejoicing in what God has done for them. They worship God. They remember that God requires atonement for His people and that He has made a way through these sacrifices. They worship Him. They give thanksgiving through them. That's the purpose of the burnt offerings. They were actually to to both uh, offer thanksgiving to God and, and to signify their repentance before God by way of this lamb that's been given for them. And the peace offerings similarly... But more specifically, they were a thanksgiving offering of, of God's restoring a relationship. You see, they do these things in ritual because God works through them. They worship. We come together through worship. We see this too, that they actually are taught. That part of worshiping God, part of what we do in order to have God's promises renewed is that we need the word uh, presented to us. We need God's Word opened up to us on a regular basis. This is why we do what we're doing right now. We have God's Word opened up to us. Look in verse 
32, it says there in the presence of the people, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And skip down to 34. And afterward, they read all. <laughs> How would you like to sit here this morning and read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law? They read the word. They were taught the law is promised is, is prominent was what we see in worship. It's promises that is at the forefront It's something that that we need to be led in to show how we enter into a relationship with God, how we come before this holy God, how we're renewed, how we're restored. That comes as we see it opened up to us in the word of God. He said they would teach them and only that they read the entire thing again. What we see, I think, is this is interesting, is that worship, it has different dynamics. There is a part of worship that we offer to God. That we come here and we offer praises. The sacrifices, they were, they were meant to give thanks to God. But there's also this other side of it, and we see this both through the sacrifices again and through the law, is that God is coming to work on us. God is coming to, to renew us, to change us. And we see that the laws were taught, were encouraged, were built up, were, were, were drawn to God. And that's the last thing you see is that, is that we actually receive blessing. The last part of the nature of it is that there's blessing. Verse 33, you see this specifically through this ritual. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, so everybody who is... Uh, around Israel, everybody who is a participant, every servant, every child, no matter how young they were, and their elders, their officers, their judges, they stood on opposite sides of the ark. They stood, they would take, stand on either side, and it says they stood on one side uh, in front of Mount Gerizim and the other side of Mount Ebal. And then what they did is the Levitical priests, who were the ones commissioned to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which had the law of God in it, they walked between the middle of Israel. Saying that what is necessary for us is we need both the covenant of God and the word of God, which is God's exposition of his covenant. We need that in the middle of us. We need that to go between us. We need that to lead us, to guide us, to be the foundation of which we do everything. And by that and through that, what we find is that they're blessed. Part of the purpose of being here this morning is that you would be blessed, that you'd be encouraged. Perhaps blessed as you're called to your knees in repentance. Perhaps blessed and that you need encouragement and the reminder that God is a God who enters into regular fellowship with His people. God is here to work on us. God is here to bless us, to pour out Himself for us. I think about this question that as I deal with students, and we've had a couple students drop out of school, and part of it relates to this question that they're asking, I need to do something important with my life. And they drop out of school in order to pursue something important right now. According to their plan, according to, their, according to maybe sometimes what they're hoping is God's end. And we all, I think it's actually a really good thing. It's unique sometimes to the, the 20-year-old or so that's kind of young, a little bit impetuous, but th this reality that we understand that our lives are meant to have purpose, 
There's, that we're meant to do important things. If you were to think back all the way to the beginning of creation, before the fall, when God commissions Adam and Eve and gives them this uh, call to be fruitful, multiply, to work the land, the implications were is that, okay, your works are meant to bear fruit. You, when you have children, it's, mo- to, it's meant to not bring more sin into the world, but to, to renew, to refresh, to, re- to invigorate the world. And yet that's not what we experience. And so we have this deep desire and longing. I need to do something important in my life. I need to be significant. And so we pursue that. For them, they pursue that by saying, okay, I can't sit here in my education. I just need to go do something now, and it's hard to wait. Some of y'all, you probably find this in your career. What I'm doing, I'm trying to bring significance to the world right now. And there's a goodness to that. There's a good desire, but here's, here's the catch and kind of here's the problem is that if we do this without remembering God's, the necessity and, and, and the, the plan and the will and the way of God, then we only develop the amount of significance that we can manifest in ourselves. You see, we can't just be set to simply recover significance. To find ourselves being significant. Because I think this is interestingly what happens. We end up distancing ourselves from the Holy Spirit. The one who works. The reliance upon the one who has power. And we end up distancing ourselves sometimes from the will of God. Because we're set so much in recovering our identity. Rather than the identity that God has given to us. And this is what I tell students. The mystery of ministry. The mystery of finding significance. In a broken and a fallen world. Is this. That it's about what God does. It's about what God does to you, and it's about what God does through you. Ministry, the work of God, the work of worship, the, the beauty of it is, the glory of it is, is that what we're doing and coming together to celebrate is what God is doing. And God works on us as we see those things. The last point you'll see in your outline, move to close with this, as we see what is renewed. I hope you're asking at this point, does God need to renew His promises? You know, Camille and Ninir, they can rest in my promises when I tell them we're going to go to Disney World. But there are actually times that I fail them. There are times that I disappoint them. There are times that maybe, you know, they inherently know that perhaps we wouldn't be able to financially do it or, or some other kind of means like that. Time-wise, we wouldn't be able to afford it. And there's reasons sometimes for question. And so we get to God, and we treat God kind of in the same way. Okay, God, I need you to remind. I need you to renew your promise because I'm not sure you're going to keep it. And that's actually not what's happening here. As we come in to the renewal, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's not that God is renewing a promise in which maybe He was thinking about failing to keep. It's not God who needs renewing. It's that we need to be renewed. It's that God's promises, and you'll see at some point, God's promises need to be re-echoed in our hearts. That we need to see who God is. That we need to read the whole law, the blessings and the curses, all these things. We need to be re- they need to be reiterated and reestablished so that we are rooted and built up in God, the one who is faithful, the one who is stable. 
See, it's us who have broken covenant with God. This is why we have questions. This is why we wonder. But it's God who is faithful to His covenant over and over. Faithful to call His people back. Faithful to bring us to Himself. Think about it just through the book of Joshua. Who is changing in the book? Does God change? Israel is changing. This is a story of Scripture. God, God is steadfast. God is loving. God is making His promise. He is keeping them. And yet it's us who need to be changed. Us who need to be restored. You see, when we renew our covenant with God, what we see is that we're renewed. What we see is that we are built up. What we see is that new life is confirmed. This reality that we are new creations in God. In Christ. So when we worship, we're renewed. Here's what this means again. You don't have to put yourself together in order to come and worship God. You don't have to be that church person as I sing. You only have to need this in order to come and worship. You have to need a king. You have to need a redeemer. You have to need healing. You have to need redemption. You have to need renewal. You have to need the work of God upon our hearts. And here's the beauty of that this morning. God's covenant to Israel, we've actually seen more of it than Joshua did. We've seen more of it than Israel did. And our worship, uh, our worship of God is similar in that we do the same things. We come and we're renewed in the covenant. But here's what our covenant now is based on. And here's where the covenant has been extended even further beyond. Is that now we come and we're reminded based on the covenant that we have through Christ Jesus. That this morning we come, and you'll notice it throughout the whole process of worship. There's a confession of sin and a reminder of our salvation. There's a preaching of the Word of God where we see our brokenness and we see God's faithfulness. There's a Lord's Supper. We're renewing it over and over and over. I still remember as we were having conversations at the beginning of church. Chris, what is the form of our worship going to look like? And we were talking, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, whether or not we would do the Lord's Supper. And the decision wasn't, okay, this would be cool. Yeah, this would, this, would, this would give us a point of contact with parts of our culture or parts of our world. The decision was this. God is at work. Why don't we take advantage of, of, of the gifts and the blessings and the renewal that He offers? You see, we come to this table, we come intentionally, again, not because we can have all of our hearts always put together, always right, but because God's work is always good. God's covenants are always worth being renewed. So this is a table of renewal. We don't make new covenants with God every week. We don't make recommitments to God every week. But we remind ourselves of God's commitment to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again that you're faithful in these ways. To refresh and renew us in yourself. We pray that you do that even now in our worship. We're going to pray. Amen.